and welcome to Chronic Correlations podcast with your hosts Fiona and Danny by the patient for the patient. Please note all of our podcast is for information only and is not medical advice. Please seek the correct medical advice from a registered medical professional. And today we have Michelle joining us on our podcast, don't we, Danny? Hi, Michelle. We do. How are you today? I'm excellent, Fiona and Danny. Thanks so much for having me on. No, you're more than welcome. So, Michelle, I thought I'd let you start off by introducing yourself on the podcast. So I'll let you take the light then. (laughs) Thank you so much. So my name's Michelle and I'm a chronic illness mentor. I work with women around the world very specifically on the emotional map and the emotional process that goes along with the very difficult process of physical chronic illness. And in particular, I live with two chronic illness conditions. This is a map that I've used for myself for the last 15 years. So that's who I am and that's what I do. I think what's really interesting, Michelle, is you, when we originally talking to you, you, me and Danny, you were talking about the boat. So can you actually explain more about the boat to us as well there, please? Sure. So the boat's part of the map. So what I'll do is just um, share with you all the emotional map and then we can talk specifically about that stage. In my experience and with all of my clients, this has resonated There are really four emotional stages of living with chronic illness. And the first stage, which is what you and I um, really dived into, is this sense that you're at sea. Now, this can be pre-diagnosis, particularly if you have conditions where you just, it's mysterious and you haven't got a diagnosis. This can also be a stage where you get diagnosis and you're like, okay, what just happened? And in particular in that stage, it's like you're on a little boat, the whole world that you had has receded and you're just at sea and you can't see land. And I'll just map the other three stages so we can talk about um, the first stage in a bit more in depth. The next stage is that you get some treatment or you get a treatment plan or your symptoms start to reduce a little And it's like you wash up on a beach and you're emotionally fully washed up. So sometimes people are really excited for you that something new is happening or it's great, you've got a diagnosis and they can treat it. And you're like, I've been at sea on my own for ages. Sure, it's great that I'm on the beach, but I'm exhausted. And now I have to go to all of this next process. The third emotional stage is where you've got a treatment plan or your symptoms have reduced and you get a bit more traction. And I imagine this as like you're walking in the forest. You're just putting one step in in front of the other and you have a bit of a feeling state of, okay, I can work with this. I know what to do in this part of my life. I can't see the future but I'm, I'm a bit further along than where I was and I feel like I've got a bit of progress. The final emotional stage in this particular map is that you have more capacity, you can start to think about the future and it's like you come over the hill and I actually imagine this as um, a British, you know, hill outside a village and you see the village and you're like, I know where I'm going 
um, okay, I'm going to return to the world a little. I'm still going to have my boundaries and it's not that my condition's cured, but I've got a bit of energy to start to interact with people and work out what to do and contribute, you know, in my new normal. The most important thing about the emotional map is one flare, one new diagnosis, one blood test that, you know, doesn't go the way you want and you can be back out at sea emotionally or you can be at sea emotionally, you can get a treatment that works from day one or day, you know, week two, and you can be right back up and, you know, okay, I'm ready to go back to the village. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the map. And what this does is give you an emotional visual for seeing where you're at and then what emotional support and tools you need at each of those stages. And that's really the work I do. I teach women the map and then I teach them how to navigate these stages. So you said that you've had your own experiences um, and this is obviously how you develop the map. Can you tell us a little bit more about your own experiences? Sure. So I was diagnosed at 34 with a life-threatening autoimmune condition and I'm 52 now. Uh, In that process... Treatment was brutal. Um, I slept 18 hours a day. I couldn't work. I was pretty much bedbound with treatment. So I did that for a couple of years and sort of went, you know what, this is, I need, I need a life. And if this is what treatment is like, um, the reality was that because I have a liver condition, actually off treatment, I was super well. And why that sounds so weird is that actually with a liver condition, your body doesn't experience the fatigue or a lot of symptoms till it's um, too late. So because my autoimmune condition was caught really early and they whacked it uh, with treatment, as soon as I stopped taking the drugs or got off treatment, I could go to yoga, I could go to dance class. So I had to decide you know, am I going all this time um, sort of unwell from treatment or am I going to look at what a good life is now? Because the reality is they said in five years' time then you'd be in a death um, sort of process and that's when the liver would be irreversibly damaged. And my decision at the time was to say, Ashley, I'm going to take the good life and have the good death because this is no way to live for me given there's an alternative. What happened in that five years, which turned into seven years, um, and they did monitor me and I made sure that I kept staying on one side of the line, is that new treatment arrived and new drug arrived. So again, when there was a moment where they said, okay, you take treatment today, otherwise this organ's going to start to fail in six months. I took treatment and I was bedbound immediately for months with treatment. But the new drugs actually had a process as we tapered off them that I could get some stability. So that's part of my experience. And it's in that experience of like, okay, I don't know where I am. What do I what am I doing? How do I navigate this? How do I work with insurance? What about my job? What about family? How do I get food? How do I get my clothes washed? How do I get to medical appointments? Mm. What I did was start to go internal and say, what does this feel like? And that's where the map started to emerge. 
yeah like I, I think a lot of our listeners will find it uh, will resonate with a lot of the things that you've already said today um i think it's something that we can all relate to about that feeling of being um sort of stranded that nobody kind of understands what's going on with you um and you feel like you're in the middle of a big lake and you can't get to shore like you said you, you you're there you're just stuck um, and when you do get a diagnosis, you then go through, all through a range of emotions because it's a kind of relief um, because you, you've got a name for it now, um, which makes you think that going forward, you'll get uh, things will be easier. But of course, as we know, with any chronic diseases, you know, it's, it can be a long road and process before you get where you need to be. Yeah. And I think the most important thing about that is... Um there's two things for me one there's a map so once you have a map then you can work out what do I do emotionally at each of these stages and what tools help me and that's particularly the work that interests me and that's the work that really helps the second thing though is to understand it's not linear and that is also really important because when you have sort of a process that you understand you're in you're not the you're disappointed and you're cheesed off that you're back at sea but you know that being back at sea isn't the end of the story and that you can actually there are other stages and you can move through them but knowing that it's not linear is really really helpful for the experience of chronic illness Yes, and, and as you said, it's almost like a process, isn't it? Where, um, like mm. a grief process at points where you've got totally. to, come to come to terms with the fact that certain things you have to adjust your life or, or do things in a certain way. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily stop some things, but with certain adjustments, you may be able to do those things. But um, again, that takes time, doesn't it, for you to work out, like you said, you've been uh, you've been doing this for many years, Um so it takes time to develop that and uh, once you get but once you get to that point you're in a better place mentally so when you do have a flare you know that it's not um you know it's something that you've overcome before and that you can deal with and it's uh, but things take time um from my perspective is, the thing is as well i think also when you're first at sea let's put it in that perspective when you're not used to dealing with appointments, doctors, having a diagnosis and so forth, the fear factor is a lot there. The fight, the fight and flight response is a lot there. The adrenaline, the concern, the anxiety. But like you said, Danny, you know, once you've been there as such and you've been in and out of the position, it seems less scarier. And like you were correct there, Michelle, as well, from a linear point, you know, depending where it takes off, it can take off in many different linears. And yeah, everybody's process is different when it comes to it. I think that's true. One of the things we know, both from all of our lived experience and from the research, is that, and this is to me, like, this is critical to understand, is that the story you are told when you get chronic illness or when you get a diagnosis or even when it's mysterious and you don't have a diagnosis, what you are told is, okay, well, that's it until you get well. You can't have a life till you get well. And so there's all this push on you getting well and you've got a chronic condition and family and friends are trying to jolly you up or suggest things that are not very helpful. And that story is what creates the stress. And that's why the map's useful because this is a different story. And when you are at sea, 
I'm not telling you you're at sea and it's over until you get to shore. That is not what the map is about. Yeah. The map is about you're in a little boat, you're at sea. So the question is, what what do you do? And, you know, I have a lot of women with long COVID starting to come to me and that experience is um, very fast, that you had your life, you were doing things and then you're like, okay, hang on a sec, I can't get out of bed, I can't work, I can't do things, this is crazy. And so you're immediately at sea. It hasn't taken a long ramp for you to get at sea. But what you can do when you are at sea, whenever that is, is know that it is a stage. And the second thing is that all you need to do when you're at sea is be at sea. If you are in the boat, your job is to feel what's going on, get the support, however that comes to you. And, you know, we can talk about that. But it's not your job to go to work when you're at sea and you can't get out of bed. That's actually not the job description of being at sea. Being at sea is about bringing into your world as much love, support, encouragement, whether it's people, whether it's podcasts, whether it's books, whatever it is to help you rest and stay at sea in the knowledge that you will land. I can absolutely guarantee you no matter what the condition, you will land somewhere. You don't, it might feel like you're going to be at sea forever because that's what being at sea feels like, but you will <laughs> land. Yeah. Yes, uh, of course. You, you know, you'll always wash up as the saying is, won't you? You'll always wash up at some point. Um, some may take longer than others in that journey, but uh, but you will at some point land um, and be uh, on land again, as you said, uh, where you can then navigate from there. But people need to... Um, like I said, we are, we've spoken to lots of people, haven't we, Fee? Um, yeah. Across our, across our journey, people who are at all levels of diagnosis, whether they've been officially diagnosed uh, with like hypermobile EDS, for example. Um, you know, it can be a long process to diagnosis as there are so many multifactorial things to it. So um, you can be at sea for quite some time when you're in that process. Um, so yeah it can be quite exhausting then when like you said you do wash up on land after you've been in a fight or flight mode for so long um, and when you have experiences then when I mean with healthcare at the moment it's a very long process to see um, doctors and for appointments and things so things are becoming a lot longer for people too so they're going to be at sea for a lot longer is my point um because they're, they're going to be in limbo, not knowing quite what is wrong. And like you said, Michelle, you've had long COVID patients coming to you now as well, um, who are again experiencing very similar symptoms uh, with their conditions too, like hypermobile EDS. Um, so all these people, like I said, are, are, they're looking for um, validation as well. You know, once you get that validation, it's like a relief, but that, that can be an emotional roller coaster totally. to a lot of people. Um, because it's like you've been fighting for so long and then it's almost like um, you, you're just exhausted, aren't you? Once you washed up on the beach, as you said. Yes, that's why I call it washed up on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like we got on a bigger ship and then we hopped on a Concord and then we landed in New York and it's shopping time, you know? Like it's yeah. actually there like, okay, I've got a bit more capacity. What does this feel like? So one of the things that I, um, yeah, to sort of share in this discussion with each other 
is that emotionally this can be really difficult but when you're with community when you have um, the validation but also the practical tools of what to do that changes this experience that changes the stress the flight and fight response you know how to start to navigate it and one of those reflections for me is if you are at sea if you are pre-diagnosis waiting for diagnosis you're on treatment and you're still sort of well and truly in bed then the question is okay I'm in the unknown at this moment because that's what it feels like. You don't know what's going to happen. So my reflection to you would be very gently in your nervous system. Think about previous times where you've been in the unknown. Now that can be leaving home, that can be going to uni, that can be starting a job. You know how to navigate the unknown. This is in many ways very, very different. I, you know, I've lived it, I know it. But when you know you are an intelligent, creative woman and when you're at sea, it's not your job to problem solve the physical experience you're in because you're at sea. It is emotionally to help build your nervous system in the knowledge that you're learning how to be in the unknown and how to do that really gently with yourself. That's actually the job because that is the skill that is a lifetime skill. And I want to sort of be, you know, warm and gentle with us all and remind us the reason it's a map, there are three other stages. It's not the end of the story, the being at sea. That's just one yeah. of the experiences. But all of the other experiences will come to you. And if it's your second time at sea, third time at sea, you know this. But if you have a map, then you're like, oh, okay, I can actually visually see that there's sort of really concrete stages rather than I'm just washing from one emotional state to another and I feel like I have no control over my life at all or my emotions. And actually you can have this incredible wealth of personal information about how you navigate each of these stages. I think the thing is as well we have to also consider is is I you said you had like long long COVID patients. I've got a few friends with long COVID as well, and I think a lot of them that I know were very fit athletes and have suddenly went yes. to long COVID, and it's like they've never dealt with it before. So because it's come on so sudden, okay, they don't know how to react to it. But the thing is, is because they're stressed out, that stresses out the body in the sense of because they don't know where they're going. And like you say, when it's a guided stage, like, you know, everyone's got their own lineage, right? It's got all yeah. different stages to it from, you know, the boat to the beach to going over the hill and so forth. But I think the understanding there is, is, you know, when people have a long-term chronic condition, okay, and they've been doing it for multiple years, they get used to that type of process, if that makes sense. They're used to the up and downs and all the different pathways. But I think it's the type of people need a lot of reassurance where it suddenly flicks a switch and suddenly they're like, okay, what do I do here? And their bodies are stressed out. So they're already depleted before they get into the boat, if that makes sense. And then when they get onto the beach, that's when they're slamming on the floor because it's suddenly, exactly, you know, their bodies are yeah. exhausted from the stress, you know, of dealing with everything. 
And it's a perfectly reasonable response to be super stressed. I mean, this really was my experience. Like I was doing yoga three times a week. I was walking to and from the office. I was taking hip hop dance classes. They gave me these drugs. I woke up and couldn't get out of bed. And I couldn't, I, I could basically get dressed and then I would have to go back to bed. And the next day I might be able to get dressed get to the office and then I would look at everybody and say, okay, I have to go home now. So I actually had that really fast experience and I have a second condition which came on just as fast even though I'd recovered mostly um, I'm on lifelong treatment but that treatment is pretty stable. So it's very, very normal to be stressed. One of the things that stresses is what do I do? That's, that's the first stress. And the second thing is what happened? Is this my life? And I think that what we as a community can hold really gently with everybody is we totally get it. It is stressful. Here are some of the things that we've learned that can support this process. And that in itself comes from you can hear how grounded I am. You can hear how confident I am and how gentle I am. That comes out of my relationship with myself in these processes. And I think that is what holds the space as women start to come to me with long COVID. I'm so pleased they found me. I'm so pleased they're not going to wait six years and be struggling with this. I'm like, okay, we got you. I know exactly how to help you. Here's a map. And they're like, oh, my God, that totally explains where I'm at. And I'm like, yes. And... It's not the end of the story. There are other stages, but this is the map that, you know, clinicians don't have this map. Clinicians don't know what to do. Family and friends are like, just think positively. Let's not get, you know, let, they're doing the best they can because they've never seen this experience either. I was going to say on that note, I mean, for, for people, our listeners, whose family and friends, again, don't quite understand what's going on with them, maybe listening to two people like ourselves talking about these experiences and letting the family and friends listen to these experiences will maybe help them understand. I mean, you, you can't understand until you've been like us, if you see what I mean, where you're at the point where you've had stages in your life where you just can't get out of bed, no matter what, you you know, you want to, you want to do these things, but it's just impossible. Um, and, and when you've got a family or when you have a job or when you're financially, rela- you know, uh, a fa- you're the financial person in the house, um, you know, you have added stresses depending on your environment, as we've spoken about previously. You know, the whole um, when, when with your family and friends, you want them to understand and it's hard for them if they've never been through something like this. You know, when you say to somebody that you're so tired there's being tired and then there's fatigue like we, we've discussed where you can't physically, you just don't have enough energy to do those things. And taking a shower takes your energy for the day, you know, it's That's the most right. exhausting thing you've ever done. Um, and again, that in the first stages of like long COVID, for example, that can be devastating to people. Absolutely. It is because it's, it's been devastating for all of us. Like it's yes, like yes. we just have acclimatised but. But it's not that we've acclimatised necessarily to just suffering. I'm, I'm, that's, that's not what this um, life is about. It's not about suffering. It's about the incredible personal power 
that you can get on board through this process, the grit, the tenacity, the vulnerability, these are actually magnificent human qualities. And it is the case, you have dreams, you have hopes, it feels like they're lost and gone forever. And what I want to share is, no, those hopes and those dreams are in your heart for a reason. It's just how they're going to pan out is going to look a bit differently. But they are in your heart for a reason. And, you know, Fiona and Danny, if it's okay with you, I would like to just share an example of how those hopes and dreams might shift and change to still have the experience of an outcome. Sure. Yeah, we'd love yeah, to Yeah, go hear. for it. Go. Uh, so I have a beautiful uh, young client. Let's call her Emma. Uh, she's in the US and she has a very significant um, experience with Lyme disease and a range of other conditions. Emma's now 30. She was unwell for a really long time. She didn't know she was unwell. She just thought she had to push through. She was at college and university and it got to the point where she was able to graduate through a variety of delays, but she, she was never able to go work. And so she's been housebound and most a lot of the time resting bedbound um, and I don't say rest in a, I say rest in an active way, not in a, you know, leisure way um, for, for years now. The, you know, she's an extremely gorgeous young woman and I, I love her. She's, I just adore her. Oh. And she has a novel in her and she, you know, people have suggested, have you tried recording it or dictating it or tried writing, you know, for as long as you can, which for her is about 20 minutes and her hand is just so flared and yeah. it's not yeah. possible. And she's a bit like me. Like when I write, I just have to write it all. I can't, I'm not a logic person who can write a sentence and come back and then write the next sentence the next day. That, that's not how I write. So she felt stuck with this novel that couldn't come out. And we did some work together. And one of the gorgeous things about Emma is she can share this story. Like she can talk and she can share this story. She's a great storyteller. And I said to her, what if, firstly, do you have the capacity to share it? How much energy does it take for you to tell the story? And she's like, oh, no, I can talk. I can tell the story. I can, that bit I can do. And I'm like, great. So we could record this on audio. You could play with this just privately on YouTube. But what if you told the story rather than wrote the story? Now, what this did for her, because as we, I mean, the story, I know what the novel is. It's a fantastic exploration of two young women going into the unknown. Um, and it's actually the story of chronic illness told, but in a beautiful way that um, has an allegory in it. And so what she started to do is just privately record it. And what happened is she's like, okay, well, I need a costume, you know, to be in front of the camera. I need to tell these parts. She repainted, got her parents to repaint her room so that there was a backdrop to it. She redecorated with some cushions. And now her energy is alive. And that's what I mean by the hopes and dreams are in your heart for a reason. We just are working out how they now find their way. They're like water. How do they now find their way into fruition? 
if we mm. had left it with, oh, no, if you can't write the story or doctors saying, well, why don't you dictate or when you get better, Emma would still be stuck. Instead, that story is now well and truly coming alive. And I think we can resonate with that completely, Fee, because, again, in our chronic illnesses, both of us, we've been through the same stages where, again, we've been in the boat and then washed upon the beach and now we're at the point where we we've learnt certain things about our conditions and how to emotionally manage them when you have a flare and the things that you need to do to take care of you in those times. Um, and then at the point we're at now, Fee, where again, we're trying to share the information that we have accumulated um, with other patients and people who are at various stages of a diagnosis um, and share some of the things that we have found helpful, useful. Um, we're sp speaking to lots and lots of people from the communities um, for their experiences, because ultimately all these experiences will help other people in their experience. Totally. And I think another thing I wanted to say to that is, is it's being open to try things as well. I think when you come into a chronic illness community and you're very new, there is that fear factor because of what you've currently been through at basically in the early stages of a diagnosis. And from my point, after trying multiple different things without having less fear, I found my symptomatic behaviours improve by looking at basic things and trying things because... You know, from my perspective, in the last year, my symptoms have dramatically improved, you know, to the sense of it's the best I've actually been in my condition, i.e. changing my diet environment and, you know, my zinc. That's just my particular story, isn't it, Danny? Yes, and, and again, you know, alleviating your stress levels, actually. Exactly. And also as well. declined. So, for example, to give you an idea, stress levels are very, very important, aren't they, Michelle? In the sense of fight and flight, adrenaline, it can affect hormone levels and stuff like that from the research and the publications. And when you're less stressed, your body isn't constantly fighting. So being relaxed and having some form of hope or something to do actually creates less stress as well if you find what makes you happy. Isn't that right, Michelle? Yeah, and I think that I want to normalise the stress, firstly, as, as you have both done, because that can be that can help you with stress, is to know that it's normal to be stressed. Yes. Then your body goes, oh, yeah. okay, I'm not trying to overcome the stress, particularly with yep. family and friends ch chirping in. And then there is this process of happiness for me is about understanding what's happening that, that helps. Like if you know what is happening, that helps. And then it is about this conversation internally. You do not have to give everything up and your whole life has not ended. It might feel like it, but and that is hugely stressful. But all of us here who are really elders in this space, and we're elders because we've been in it for a long time, we know that that's not the end of the story. And you don't have to get from being in the boat, starting in your mind to plan, okay, well, how am I going to get back to community and how am I going to get to the village? That's not what you do in the boat. In no, the boat, go <laughs> you don't. You're just in the boat. It's how can I be supported? And a lot of us know the experience of what I call the unhelpful helper. 
the person who's trying to help and it's not helpful at all it can be emotionally trying to help by jollying you up it can be the person who gives you a thousand options for lunch and you're just like could you just do the thing I ask could you just toast the cheese sandwich could you just bring the cheese sandwich instead of asking do I want tomato which plate to use do I want tea not helpful um and so when you learn that these are facets of the experience, then you can learn how to discern between the helpful helper and the unhelpful helper. And what you say to the unhelpful helper who is giving you lots of options is to say, I really need the toasted sandwich in just cheese. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is because when there's a lot of other offers and options, I know you really want to help me but it takes so much energy for me to say no to those. I've really thought about what I need and the toasted cheese, just simply as it is, whatever plate, I'm all good. And I'm so grateful that you can do that for me. And that releases the stress as well with others. And this sort of recording, hearing me say that, this is something you can share with people and I've had this before. Mom, listen to minute 32. That's what I need. Yeah, I just need to be heard. I just need you to, to say, right, okay, you need a cheese sandwich. Right, I'll just go do the cheese at this stage. Yeah. I, I resonate with that because I can find, I have found it exhausting myself where I've had lots of options of things. Um, and it's just exhausting. I just don't know even know where to start. My brain can't process all the options that you've just given me. I, I just haven't yes. got the energy to do it. So all I want, if I'm if if my brain's had the capacity to say, right, you want, you know, I, I really want a cheese sandwich then, then that's that's as much as I can do. And once I've had that sandwich, you know, we're all good. So yes. I, I really get that myself. Like I said, the exhausted amount of options I find it exhausting or have done. Um, and, yeah. and then I, I would just do nothing personally, Michelle, because I find the whole experience exhausting. Um, yes. And I would end up saying, oh, just, just don't worry, just don't bother, because I just am too tired to even think about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I want to get this discernment between helpful and unhelpful. And when there's this possibility to simply say in the sentence, I appreciate all the offers, I've thought about it, this is actually what I need and this is what I have capacity for. Can you hear in my language how it's all framed about my capacity and what I need as opposed to defending against the offers? I'm actually over in me and I'm not over managing their system. I'm speaking from my system. And whether you're in the boat or anywhere along the stage, this skill of speaking from your capacity, not managing their feelings, but doing it in a way that works for you that in itself changes the stress and changes the conversation for you being in the boat. And I'd like to, from my own experience then, I think a lot of people feel a lot of guilt, Michelle, as well. Yes. Um, guilt is a huge thing because when you've gone from being quite an active person and having a family where you're, you know, quite, you have to be active and, and then you go to being, I can't, I physically can't. I'm so sorry, I can't. Um, yeah really does affect your family life and the guilt that you feel um but you again you physically can't do anything about it and that then becomes like you said that leads to stress and and it becomes a yeah. whole vicious cycle so what i'm trying to get across to listeners is again i understand that you could you know the guilt feeling 
um, but you really shouldn't feel guilty, if you see what I mean, of something that is beyond your control and capacity right now. Um, but once this is why we want to get education out there of speaking to lots and lots of different people about their experience because we want to see what pe more people have found helpful. And like you said, you've got uh, you've got a lot of, of your own uh, clients with yourself yeah. um, who find this process very, very helpful and useful to them. Um, because if you can get yourself in, in, in the emotional state of, of not feeling so guilty, Michelle, or, uh, you know, being able to express your needs in a better way, um, because, again, you go through all the emotions. As we said, we go through anger. Um, you're angry with yourself. You're angry that you can't do those things anymore. The grief um, as well, the loss. Yeah, you go yeah. through a whole grief process almost. You do. And I think on the guilt, um, one of the things that the reason the guilt is there is because this is cultural. We have a whole society built on the only way to be in the world is to be successful, and that means being fit, healthy, and generally young. All, most of us don't fit that model. Illness is actually a normal part of living in a body. We are biological beings. Illness is part of that experience. We may be having an extreme experience of that, but it's actually perfectly normal for bodies to start to not do what healthy, fit, etc. young bodies are expected to do. And everybody will have this experience of having some form of dependency physically at some part in their lives. And so for me, understanding I live in a body and this is normal and gathering the stories. There are so many, you know, this podcast is going to be so beneficial for people to understand and listen to. There are books out there now. One I would definitely recommend to everybody, particularly for this phase, it's called Unseen. And it's by an author, an Australian author called Jacinta Parsons. And I can shoot this to you for the show notes. But she was very young, a young adult and, you know, was a teacher and is now a radio broadcaster 25 years later. And it maps her experience of living with actually Crohn's disease and a range of other conditions. And when you understand that, the way society is treating you is what is embedding the guilt because we're humans, we're mammals, we're meant to be in connection with each other. That's just biological. And so this is actually normal. We live in a society with pathologizes that and we're not pathological. We're human beings doing what human beings do. Yeah, that's, again, I, I'll be checking that link out myself uh, for my own interest, definitely. I think what I wanted to say on um, when we're coming to the end of this as well is I think being quite an elder, I would call it now, Michelle, in the um, EDS yes. side of things, as in, you know, the diagnosis point. I think what I, I do agree with you in the side of the guilt and the cultural aspect within society. But I think also from my point, I started to notice cycles, i.e., you know, I started thinking to myself, like my body, okay, if I want the energy I need and I want to be happy, I need to give it the right nutrients as well. So yeah. I started noting cycles. So for example, with me, I was going, hang on a minute, why don't I have certain things available here? So if I did have a flare, 
I'm eating the right thing. And I get it. I mean, I've been in that stage. I get that people have been there. I mean, when I've had like knee surgery, hip surgery, I can't move. You know, exactly. years ago, I would just make myself something quick and easy. But I think what I've done, my own personal experience, is I've reprogrammed my brain to say, okay, in order for my body to function well, for me to be happy and to have the energy and the happiness as well, I need to give it the right energy as well. You know, because you have to, in a way, love your body as the way you approach life and full happiness as well, because you have to care for your body and you have to love it as well. And, and I think it is that's... working out, yeah, it's working out those things like even if there's a glass of water, like in those conditions, I would people would say, oh, you know, can I get you anything? And I wouldn't just wait till the water ran out. I was like, could you refill the glass of water? Because then I'm not trying to pace myself down. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. that's really yeah. simple. You don't need to be in suffering. There's plenty of water in the tap for somebody to go fill up that glass halfway. Yes, and I mean, for, if you haven't got people there, um, because there are some people who don't have a lot yes. of support around you. Totally. Again, yeah. preparation is key, and I know yes. it's exhausting, but, you know, keep some bottles of water, for example, you yes. know, for a rainy day. Have it, prepare in advance. Have things in the freezer, nutri but nutritious food. You know, you yes. when you're in a period of um, of being in this state of unwellness, your body needs all the nutrients it can get, and it's very easy to reach for uh, easy foods because it lacks minimal. It, it takes minimal pep preparation. So if you've already pre-prepared those when you're on a good day, you know, um, and and you've frozen them, for example, you know, uh, fish and vegetables, yeah. that type of thing, it's already pre-prepped. The, but you should look at the whole uh, spectrum of disorders. Um, you know, that covers everything. But nutrition is a basic thing and it's the key, you know, with a lot of human diseases anyway. So, like I said, we all know about the cycle of feeling unwell and reaching for easy totally. foods. Um, which, again, then is very unhelpful in that or can be very unhelpful in the whole cycle of chronic illness. Because, you know, for your mood, as you know, there's certain foods which are very helpful then uh, with your moods. Um, I mean, even staying hydrated as well, Danny, yes, it's just a basic yes, because yes. it helps your concentration, it reduces certain things, and, you know, it's important to stay hydrated, then your body doesn't feel as fatigued and tired as well. And this is what I mean about looking at the basics as well. I mean, that's because I'm an elder in it, but I was I completely relate to the newbies when it comes to chronic disease. I was there. I was in that position as well with them, you know. And in and today's society, yeah. um, see, as society yeah. evolutionary factors go on, um, you know, the diet that is is today, um, the Western diet, as it's called, is very high in you know processed foods and sugar. So it's very easy these days mm -hmm. too totally you know, to order those things on on certain uh, channels, yeah, and have them delivered to your home. So, which, again, yeah. when you're unwell is, you know, is very easy. And yes, you know, you should be having nutrition. Um, you, you know, if you're unwell, obviously you should be eating, but being mindful of the things that you are eating, um, you know, um, the nutritional value then of certain fast food uh, selections is very, very low. So when your body is already in a state, um, you know, you should be looking at optimizing everything. Like we said, mental health, your nutritional health, all these factors which are imperative for, you know, humans. Yeah. And I think the thing about 
somebody helping as well in all of that process, I just want to let you know, you know, through all of this process, I was living alone. So I actually know what it's like to do that. And I rostered people, but I was really clear about, you know, somebody would come to visit and I was like, can you get the water when they ask? People want to help. And so give them, if you have the list of things that help, you mm. can ask them to do it. And that includes, you know, if your thing is like, okay, well, I can't stand to chop the carrot, but actually, you know, Danny, if you're coming to visit and you want to ask to help, one thing that would really help today, if you could go chop the carrot into sticks and putting it in water in the fridge um, and bringing me a little, that would really help. And so this notion of having what does help helps you get people to be helpful helpers rather than yeah. unhelpful. And what you are sharing is the knowledge of what you, some of the things you could get people to help with. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective there, I was a single parent, Michelle, with four children through through yeah. a lot of this which again was um I found quite difficult at times because obviously you know there was things that I need they needed doing for them um yes. with me as a parent um so but I you uh, again I used it um in some ways so my my daughters uh, are excellent at baking and love baking for example yes so we used it for times um so I get them to help prep prep uh, to yes. chop the vegetables and things once they got to an age you know, um, so um, and made it more of our family time because I said our, my life had changed in that I couldn't do a lot of the things yeah. that we used to do together um, yeah. as my symptoms got worse. So um, yeah. those those type of things, like I said, I thought were um, just some suggestions. Like I said, it's things that have helped yeah. me. Then. Uh, I mean, I can give an example as well too there, Danny. So um, I had a bit of a, a well, long story short my dad was very unwell he had an aneurysm blow and he had multiple strokes with it and brain bleeds and it led to having a carer in and I was trying to help and then I had to have jaw surgery as you know Danny and yeah. um, I remember one day I went home that day and um, the carer who come in just saw me just sitting on the floor I helped my dad um, he was having issues at the time, quite big issues of walking and stuff like that. And the carer just looked at me and she goes, is there anything I can do to help you? And she was the first one that just went into the freezer, put some veg on for me and then just brought it to me. She said, because she looked yeah. at me and I had blood down my, I, I had blood down my face in the jaw surgeon. She goes, you shouldn't be helping him. You should be in hospital. And I was like, but I've got no other choice right now because, you know, you, you guys only come in a certain amount of time per day. And I remember her saying, she goes, well, I hope that helps and it gives you some nutrition too. And do you know what? Like you say, it's that one person, Michelle, yes, when you're having a right. bad moment that comes in and it's like a little angel in disguise. And you you get a bit upset about it emotionally because sometimes you feel it's it. hard to ask for help, especially if you're quite independent. Me and Danny are very, very independent. And yeah. when we yes, ask same. for help, we find it very difficult. And then it becomes like another taboo subject as well, because you're like, I can't ask for help. Especially if you're alone, you're so used to doing it by yourself. But when you're at exactly. your lowest point, you just feel weak, if that makes sense. And sometimes there is no choice. Like for me, it's like, okay, I actually have to roster people. This is pre-Uber um eats and everything and go. <laughs> like I actually needed to roster people to go to the grocery. Um, and again, you know, this is the beauty of 
this is the beauty of having had this experience is even in this conversation, we've now got at least three, four, five different things that somebody listening could go, okay, well, one of those is something I could do. And all of that is to love and support because that's what we're really doing. That's why we're even doing the podcast is we want you to know you're not alone. It's not the end of the story. There are unhelpful helpers. You can renegotiate for helpful helpers and we're with you. We trust you and we're with you. I think that's a good point there, Michelle. And there's many supports on the internet, social media. And I think, you know, everyone's there to help one another. And that's why we're calling it by the patient for the patient, because, you know, we're all there to support one another and people need to know there is support out there, even though they may find it difficult. If that's new people to chronic disease or the elders to chronic disease, there is that support there. Yeah, and, and, and we're with each other. Yeah, we we are, and we you know reach out to us, isn't it, Fee? You know, we yeah. have people reach out, and we will reply. We always do, don't we, Fee? And if yes. you know you've got any questions or anything uh, that that you uh, want to ask, you know, we we will happily try and point you in, uh, give you some information, or point uh, show you uh, some of the things that we found helpful or that we found. Yeah. Or, or the right links. Point to the right links and the right yes. medical professionals in this, you know, for certain, uh, if, if there's, because some of the things we've noticed, you know, there's a lot of crossovers with lots of things. Um, yes. And like I said, yeah, there's lots of help out there uh, all over <laughs> this. And we've made lots of connections between us, haven't we, the three of us? And I yes. think it's been a and good session all... today. Yeah, we're all on Instagram. That's how we found yeah. each other. We're all doing yes. it. It's Thank the algorithm. It's the algorithm. the algorithm again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the algorithm again. And, so, but no, no it's been a lovely chat again today. Um, Thank you. And about these subjects, like I said, hopefully we will. If we help just one person, you see. Yes. Um, for me, we've we've helped them, and and that's great. Yeah, I mean, as long as we're helping the people and they're hearing the stories and they can hear there's levels of support. And Michelle, what we do is on the um, podcast, we'll put your um, Instagram link and so forth as well so people can follow you as well. And I just wanted to say thank you very much for your time again today, Michelle. It's been an amazing talk. I'm sure Danny will agree with that. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure again, as always, Michelle. Yeah. And, it's a know, pleasure for me too. I'm so grateful too that we found each other and we can have the chat. It's a great chat and we have great chats together, don't we? And we may invite you back on again then, Michelle. Yes, <laughs> my yeah. pleasure. Thanks for having me. And so, just, just to an end of the podcast, guys, I do have to remind you to all of our podcast listeners, this is only for information only and it's not medical advice and always please, uh, please seek the correct medical advice from a registered medical professional. So thank you very much for joining us, Michelle. And like I said, I'll put your information on the podcast, um, you know, information as in your links. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show again. Thank you. Thanks. Take Michelle. care, Michelle. Bye. Bye. Bye.